You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. I think Dave forgets that that works two ways. So if you want any good stories about Dave, you can come see me because I also, I also lived with him. So, so, and I'm sure Seema has even more stories. But Hey guys, it's so good to be here. It's a, a real blessing. And I just want to say thank you so much for all your prayers uh, for me, for where I've been, for my exodus from the country I was in and to be safe with you guys and to see you guys and to celebrate with you uh, this time of year. Uh, just an aside, in the back by the offering box are these bookmarkers. Please take one if you're willing to pray for the country I was in. That's all I ask, that whenever you see this, you pray for that country. Okay, is that cool? They're free, just take one, take two, give them to friends, but just with that agreement that you'll pray for that country, okay? Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be back, and this is an amazing time of the year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, he is our treasure, and he is an amazing treasure. And that's what I want to talk to you today, if we could put that slide up, slide one. I want to talk to you about the treasure. And in the Gospels, Jesus spoke most about one thing, the kingdom of God. And I want to look at one, well, two parables about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 44 and 46. The parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so Jesus is saying in this, the kingdom is like an unexpected treasure of immense value. The kingdom of God is worth losing everything for. And the kingdom of God, when discovered or understood, brings life-altering joy. Life-altering joy. The two stories, they don't portray a man begrudgingly selling all that he had with great struggle, but finally out of a deep commitment and duty selling all he had. No, it says in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It wasn't a struggle. Nor would others have admired him as somehow a super committed, special forces, Navy, SEAL type individual. What he did was a no-brainer because he stumbled on something of such value and worth, all other things were worth letting go of to obtain the treasure. The scene is one of unexpected joy and glee, not of drudgery. Jesus is saying that there's something in the kingdom of God, in being under his rule, that can bring joyful sacrifice. Something that can ruin us for the ordinary. But the problem for most of us, if you're anything like me, and being honest with ourselves, though dedicated and deeply committed, 
we're often not experiencing or seeing the treasure. It's Christmas time, right? We know it so well. Dave and I and, and John Runkle and a few others, uh, Andrew, we hiked the Grand Canyon together. And on one episode, we came up out of this magnificent, beautiful, awe-inspiring place. We loved it. We, we loved going there. And we come up out of it, and we go into this store, and there's a lady behind the counter, and I, I said to her, you know, wow, that place is amazing. And she said, yeah, I live here. I'm like, wow, you live here? I mean, you get to see the canyon every day. And she said, what do you mean, the big hole out there? The big hole out there, this grandeur of beauty. But see, she'd become so familiar with the canyon, it lost its joy and its awe. And if we're not careful, Christmas and the treasure, we become so familiar with them, we lose the beauty, the awe, the mystery, and the joy of it. And that happens in marriage. It happens in the kingdom of God. It can happen in anything that we get so familiar with things that we lose the beauty, the awe, and, and the wonder of them. And so I hope that God will use me a little bit today to, to remind us of five aspects I want to look at, and that's pretty big undertaking. But I want to remind us of five aspects of the kingdom of God. If we could go to that slide, um, slide four. All right. Uh, you're going to love the first one. You, we are much worse than you or we think. Thanks, John. That's great news. The good news of Jesus' kingdom is much better than we think, much more forgiving than we think. The good news of the kingdom is more redemptive than we think. The good news of the kingdom is much more powerful than we think. And the good news of the kingdom is much more about we than me. So let's go to the first one. Next slide. You, me, we are worse, much worse than we think. So what do I mean by that? And how is that good news? Does anyone remember the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Am I dating myself? Okay, quite a few of you, right? Well, I think in the West, in Christendom now, we could make a new movie called Honey, I Shrunk My Sin. Because we don't emphasize it. It's become kind of a bad word. We don't want to talk about how messed up we are. And in doing so, we, we make it small. But sin is an insidious, insidious virus, way, way more dangerous than the coronavirus. And it, like the coronavirus, constantly mutates. Constantly mutates so that it's constantly trying to move in on us and, and one of the things being back here that I've seen or noticed is how much one of the mutations I would call the victim mutation. Now, I don't want to underscore or play down or make light of anyone who's been hurt by someone purposely or, or um, you know, hurt sexually or raped or anything like that. But if we don't watch it, we can then feel like and hold on to I'm a victim all of our life. And victims never get free of being a victim. If I'm always a victim, then how can I change and how can I be free? You see, that, that's what sin does. It, it turns me in and says, me, 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 and I'm a victim and I can never change. And that becomes my identity. 
And that's insidious. And it keeps us from freedom. Another one I've seen, and I think the Scripture's up there. Let me read it. Jesus told this story to Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You might say this is the mature or righteous variant. What happens is, you know, when, before we become a Christian, we realize, you know, we shouldn't smoke, chew, or drink, and don't hang out with those who do, right? And we become a Christian, and, oh, God, we get free of drinking or smoking or chewing or, or all the outward bad things. And we feel good, and we should. But insidiously, we start to put our righteousness in my devotional life or my ministry success or my financial success or my education success or how is my marriage success. Those all can become my source of feeling right before God and I minimize the cross of Christ and my need for His righteousness and before you know it, I become weary. The Christian life becomes weary. I'm doing it. I'm doing all these things. But the joy is lost. The joy is lost. Because I'm now maintaining my righteousness. Right? And that can then infect us. And then we become proud. And as I've been back here, I'm amazed at how polarized not only is society how polarized the church has become. And again, we're very much like this Pharisee. Oh God, I'm glad I'm not a Trumper. Or, oh God, I'm glad I'm not a liberal Republican, uh, Democrat. Oh God, I'm so glad I'm not that. What is that? That's our pride. That's our pride. Yes, there's things wrong in both because they're men, right? But we're sinful. Man, I had a young man in the country I was in, and I taught in a leadership class. And remember, people would come up, and they, we'd have coaching sessions afterwards. And most would come, how can I improve my English? How can I get to the United States? How can I get to England? How can I get to Canada? How can I get a master's, a PhD, blah, 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 blah. This young man comes and says, how can I get closer to God? And I was kind of shocked. I had never had anybody ask me that question. So I encouraged him to pray in his own language. And he said, I already do. Wow. And we started a friendship there. Later, he came down to my apartment. He lived in another city. And he said, man, there was a teacher out. And he asked this question, and it unnerved me. I said, wow, what question? He said, well, how many of you love your parents? That's not very unnerving. Everyone in the class raised their hand. How many love your brothers and sisters? Everyone raised their hand. How many love your, your other extended family? Everyone raised their hand. And then he said, 
how many of you love your enemies? And everyone started to laugh. But he didn't. He was struck in his heart. He said, how can I love my enemies? And I said, well, you're in my house, so I'm going to share with you. You know I'm a Christian. So I shared with him the good news of Jesus, and I shared with him how when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was saying to this to people jeering him, his enemies, which is all of us. And then I said, he rose from the beginning. He gave us the power to love our enemies. It's not easy. You know, I fail at it miserably, but that's our example, and that's, he wants to empower us to do that. Later he came down, he said, you know, I'm trying to get a scholarship at this nation, with, to, to another nation, and he came down, he was staying with me, and at that time, another man had given me a book by Dan Bauman, a guy from Youth with Mission, and it was called A Beautiful Way. Very simple little book. It's about God's love for us, our love for our God, and our love for our neighbor. And I thought, hey, you might want to read this. And he took it home, sent me a message three days later, best book I ever read in my life. This is from a man from a different religion. So I was shocked, wow. Three weeks later, he sent me a text message saying, please call me, I've been crying for three days. I was shocked at that. I called him, what is up? He said, the book. It's not a cry kind of book. It's a very encouraging book. I'm like, why? And he said, well, it says to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, yeah. He said, and, and, and I realized, if I'm going to follow Jesus like you and this guy do, in my country, that's going to cost me my future. I'm a wealthy young man. It's going to cost me maybe my education. It's going to shame my family. And in the end, I might die. He said, forget marriage. And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, I realize I want a God that does what I want him to do. I want a God who will guarantee me a successful future. I want a God who will give me a good family. I want a God who will help me financially. That's the kind of God. I don't love God. And he got choked up. I love what I want God to do for me. Whoa. And then he said, and it's the same with humans. I love those who love me and support me and are kind to me and anybody else I don't love. And I'm like, man, I wish I could bottle this and send this to the United States. This is the essence of sin. It's not those outward things. Those outward things are a result of us not loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And he was getting it. And he said to me, I thought you said this was good news. I said, well, my, my book says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of God. I said, you're very close, my friend. I said, one edge of the good news, it cuts you to the heart to show you, you cannot do this. You are a sinner. And it's not the outward things we so easily mask. It's the inward wanting God to be who I want him to be, not who he is. And the other is no. We use people. We really don't love them. And I said, but the good news is God sent a Savior to cover that to free us, to give us new life, to be able to take us sinners and transform us to a point where we can start to actually love him and then love our neighbors. That's the good news. 
So God, while I was in this other country, used it to really show me my lack of love, both for God and for people. I am a very, very accomplishment-oriented person. And God asked me this question one day. Do, do your accomplishments, the number of your accomplishments, outweigh the quality of your love? Whoa. Went right in my heart. Does the number of your, or the quantity of your accomplishments outweigh the quality of your love? That's what he was saying to me. And I realized being in this country that was very stressful and I would often want to justify my sinful response to things by looking at the stress around me in this country. Don't we do that well? Anybody else here or am I alone? Uh, uh, okay, one other person, Scott. All right, we're the two sinners here. God started to show me, John, you're like a sponge. And when the sponge gets squeezed, what comes out was already in the sponge. But you're blaming the squeezing. Isn't that a lot of us? God squeezes us to show us what's there, and we're freaking out at the squeezing and blaming the squeezing, saying, why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? This is wrong. And then we justify whatever sin comes out and how we respond by saying it was the squeezing's fault. While I was there, one of my staff was going through a hard time and he was really angry at another staff, really bad attitudes. And one day I sat down with him and, and the Lord just gave me this illustration. He's a vocational guy and I said, you know, what happens when you put chocolate and cement in the sun? He said, chocolate melts and cement gets hard. I said, is it the sun's fault or is it the same sun? He said, it's the same sun. He said, what, what is the problem is the ingredients in each, and he stopped. And he started to weep. And he forgave this other guy. All, he went in and he came back out, and I said, man, you look like a thousand pound weight had been lifted. He said, I had 45 grievances in the computer that I was gonna take before all the students and have them help, you know, give me witnesses of each one of these about him. He said, I just deleted it all. He said, that's not God's way. See, his heart had become like cement, but in that point, he opened his heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he became like chocolate, and he melted and changed. They're now rooming in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> God has such a sense of humor. So I have a question for you. I was doing this exercise in a class, and it, was, it said, ask your husband or wife or some honest friends if they could change one thing about you, what would it be? Warning, this can be dangerous to your pride. <laughs> so I'm not married, so I said, well, I'll ask some people around me in that country. And I asked, first I asked my director and his wife, and they said, you can be very pushy. And that's true, and it didn't even really bother me to hear that, because I know I can be very pushy. Then I called another friend, and they said, you can be mean sometimes. I was shocked. And in my heart, I said, okay. In my heart, I was like, no way. What are you talking about? If I ask 10 other people, they won't say I'm mean. I was really shocked. But I said, okay, all right, thank you. A couple days later, the same person called me up and said, hey, 
it was, it was Wednesday night, which would be like our Friday night. I was tired, stressed, and this person called and said, hey, you know, I need some information about COVID, and they started going on, and what happens here, and what should I do there? And I said, that's why we have a doctor on the team. Call him. Goodbye. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, that's what they were talking about. Ouch. I encourage you to do that. Ask some people around you. If you could change one thing about me, what would it be? And be willing to hear it. It's, it's painful, but it'll show you things about you that you don't know about you. Again, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hear the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. This is why that's good news. If we look in the treasure, and at first we see a big mirror reflecting our heart, and it breaks us and makes us poor in spirit, that is good news, part of the treasure, because it opens us up to see the treasure. The gospel, number two, is so much better than we think, much more forgiving and much better news than we usually grasp because maintaining our own self-righteousness and sense of value through compliments, accomplishments is really, really tiring. But the great news in the story of Jesus, when he says about the man who was broken, Jesus says he went home righteous. And then Paul writes these amazing, amazing words. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from act. Accusation. Do we really dare believe that? Do I really dare believe that I am holy in God's sight? That I am free from accusation? That I am blameless? That is the good news of the treasure. Yes, I'm worse than I think, and the kingdom of God is better than I think because it makes me, if I receive it, holy in God's sight blameless, righteous, and free from accusation. What amazing good news. What amazing thing that Jesus did. The question is, where am I trying to get my sense of righteousness from? Am I taking it from God and what he's done, or am I still trying to provide it for myself? Some might question if it's that good of news that my past sin is forgiven, my present sin is forgiven, my future sin is forgiven. Won't that make me just want to take advantage of it? Right? Wow, I'm free. Let's go have a sin party. Well, I had a, a, a teacher of the language I was learning there come, and we would start every lesson just by, hey, what's happened? How is your life going? And he had been married for about six months, and he had married out of love, someone from the tribe of the T group, and he was from a very minority group, persecuted by the, the, the tribe of the T group. And so it was a really amazing marriage, and it was amazing the father-in-law let them marry, and he had to send his family to Turkey, the father-in-law, from outside pressure from extended family members wanting to kill him for allowing his daughter to be married to this, in their mind, low-life you know, minority tribe. In this country, and in this tradition, when you marry, 
you, you ladies will love this, you move into your husband's family under the tutelage of the mother-in-law who then enacts you and treats you as a slave. So though many women are excited to get married, especially in love marriage, which are not often, the thinking of going under this mother-in-law who will treat me the way she was treated, and if you have five sons, you have five servants now, five wives and five servants in your home, and that's how they're treated. And now she also knows I'm com coming under a mother-in-law of the tribe that my tribe has persecuted for endless generations. Yahoo, right? Great. So he comes home, and she's crying. And he's like, what happened? She said, your mom. And he's like, oh, no. What did she do? And she picks up her pillow, and there's a bag of walnuts. Now, walnuts in this country were very expensive, but this young lady loves walnuts. Bag of walnuts, and on it is, from mom, love, botchim. Now, botchim is a term you usually would call your beloved last son. The last son in a family is the favorite son, gets spoiled to death, and the father and mother will call him botchim. It means my beloved. Sometimes you'll use it occasionally for a daughter that you really have a special relationship to. Now, here's this girl from the wrong tribe under a mother-in-law, and she's giving her little packages saying, love my botch and mom. And she's like, she just starts bawling. Why does your mom love me? Why? I'm from the wrong tribe. I've moved into your home. I'm supposed to be treated like a slave. And your mom is calling me my beloved. Why? And he's like, my mom's very loving. <laughs> I said, that's the gospel. That's the good news that I've been trying to tell you about. We're all from the wrong tribe. We've, we've been enemies of God, and he brings us into his family, not with a bag of walnuts, but by putting his son on a cross to take all our sin and give us the, the gift of righteousness and adopt us not as a slave, not as somebody you can never know, but calls us my beloved. Amen? The father-in-law calls her and says, come over this weekend because your mom and everybody else is in Turkey and I'd like to see you. She said, I can't. He's like, why? I'm helping mom. He said, how can you be helping mom? Mom's in Turkey. Well, my other mom. What do you mean your other mom? Well, you know, my husband's mom. Well, I need you here. Well, mom broke her hip and I'm taking care of her, so I won't be there because I'm helping mom. My friend said she can't do enough for my mom because she's overwhelmed by the love of my mom. That's the gospel. We should be overwhelmed if we saw how much God loves us, as some of those songs said. We don't serve out of trying to earn our salvation or get anything from God or be righteous in them. We should be hearing in our ears, Bachim, my beloved. And that changes everything. That changes your attitude. That changes why we do things because we're in awe of a God that despite us being the enemy tribe has adopted us into his family not to be servants, to be sons and daughters and to hear in our ears, my beloved. That's the good news of the treasure of the kingdom of God. Amen. Number three. 
the gospel, well, let me just read a verse. I love this verse. Dan Moser preached a couple weeks ago on Nehemiah 9, and I was so struck by this verse. Because in Nehemiah 9, the author is showing how reckless and faithless the Israelites were compared to the love of God. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader and ordered return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is our God who brought us up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. This is our God. He sends his son to be our sin bearer. He searches after us. He seeks us out, and he bears our sin and calls us botchim, despite our faithlessness, despite our sin. This is the good news of Christmas. Jesus came as one of us to take all our garbage and love the hell out of us. That's our Savior. That's our God. Number three, the gospel is much more redemptive than we think. Suffering, aging, death, calamities, uh, disasters is that dreaded thing that we all spend much of our lives, especially in the West, trying hard to avoid. And if we happen to have to pass through it, we're often questioning the goodness of God, right? The C word comes up, cancer, or there's a tragedy, or something happens we weren't expecting, a loved one dies unexpectedly, there's a birth defect. Whatever it is, we end up saying, if we get through it, why God and how could you do this to me? Isn't that how we often frame it? But the treasure of the cross does not eliminate suffering and evil. It redeems it. Hear that. We want a God who prevents evil. We want a God who prevents suffering. We want a God who, like my friend said, who makes and arranges our life the way we want it. And instead we have a God who does not prevent evil, allows it, but redeems it. All evil, all tragedy, all death will always, always be redeemed in the end by God. There's nothing he will not, cannot redeem. There's no evil that happens that he does not, he permits, but he will redeem if we allow him and, and work with him. He will redeem everything. I love the scripture that's up there. Joseph, after his father died, his brothers, even though he's forgiven them, provided for them, they think now that dad's dead, he's going to take out his anger on us. And they come to him and they say, you and, and they say, please forgive us. And I love these words of Joseph in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Whose lives? The very perpetrators of evil. They were the ones who tried to kill him or thought of it. They're the ones who sold him into slavery. They're the ones that his life ends up 14 years in prison. The very perpetrators of evil, he says, God has used me to bring blessing to you. Joseph saw God as not a preventer, 
but a redeemer. And when that gets in our hearts, we don't have to fear anything. Paul lived in the time of Nero. Nero, if you've ever heard of the term Roman candles, this was uh, one of Nero's ways of having sport. Pour tar on a Christian and light them afire. That's where the term Roman candle comes from. He was a sick man. Sundays would come around and his not football of the time, but for him football and for many Romans, let's go watch the the lions or the gladiators slaughter Christians in the Colosseum. What fun. He was a sick, sick man. Paul never mentions him. What Paul mentions in Romans, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, Romans 8, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, further on. And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, he goes down further in the chapter. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul had a conspiracy theory. You know, that's the the going thing here in the United States, conspiracy theories. Paul had one. It's called Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. That God will use everything for his good and our good, for his glory, and nothing, nothing can get in the way of God's redemptive kingdom marching forward. Nothing. That's what Paul was inspiring people. Look, focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on the unending all-redeeming kingdom, not on Nero and all the things. Yes, they're tragic. Yes, they're terrible. God triumphs over them and through them. That's the good news we have. So here I am in this country, and we have this young man come to us. Um, he, he goes through the program. About halfway through, he asked me that same question, how can I get nearer to God? I told him, pray in your own language. He laughed at me. He asked our counselor, hey, John said I should pray in my own language rather than in the holy language. And she said, well, you should try it. He thought, that's crazy. He stayed up late that night. And he starts to talk to God. Didn't know what to say. You know, what do I say to God? But then he starts to pour out his heart. And pour out his heart. And the peace of God and the love of God flooded his heart. And he became a follower of Jesus. Fast forward, his brother, he graduates, he's, his wife died 10 days after he, now this is tragic, he started his wife on drugs. He graduates our program, 10 days later she overdosed on drugs. And he did not go back to drugs. He pressed into God. Now his brother sees this, who's also a drug addict, and instead of being happy for the transformation, he's angry because this guy has shamed the family because he's a big mouth. And he's telling everybody how Jesus changed him, which doesn't go very well in the country I was in. And he feels, you've shamed our family. Because the father was a mullah, or a pastor of, of that particular religion, and feels, you've shamed us. I need to bring back honor to the family. And in this country, you bring back honor by eliminating the person who is dishonored. Right? He's dishonored the family, shamed the family. You've become an infidel you need to be removed. 
but he's my brother. Let's get the people that inspired him or influenced him removed. And he, with his big mouth, had talked all about me, talked all about our counselor, talked all about this other young uh, Afghan that was in there. Well, I said it. Uh, other young man who was also a follower. So he decides, I'm going to go to the T group, this terrorist organization, tell them the location, tell them the names of these people, and get them killed and ask for a reward. They'll give me money and I'll get high. I get drug money. My brother, our family's honor gets restored, and these guys get killed. That's a win-win-win all around, he thought. Then he got COVID, really bad. And his brother brings him to us, saying, please take him in. So we put him in our room upstairs, our quarantine room, but he was so bad. His coughing would go from all day, all through the night, so loud. My, my, my staff said, oh, he's faking. I'm like, I don't think you would fake to not sleep all night and keep everyone out. So we took him to the hospital. Oxygen levels should be over 90 with usually normal people, 95, 98. His were 60. So he was screaming because he couldn't breathe. So we had him in the hospital a few days. He got oxygen. He started to get better. He was in our quarantine room for a month. He was so sick. But in that month, he kicked drugs. Then he came down. He was really angry. He said, if God was such a good God, why does he let me be a drug addict? It's his fault I'm a drug addict. I'm like, well, no, not really. You had choices. So he said, what are you doing here? Why would anybody from your country come and live in this? And he said some words I won't repeat. And then I said, well, would you like to hear my story? So I told him how I became a Christian. And when I was done, he said, that's an amazing story. That's a really amazing story. Two days later, he had a counseling session with our counselor. And I said, hey, how did you go with the counselor? He said, I think I met an angel. She's so kind, so loving. I've never met anyone like that. Three days later, another guy came who was from that country who was also a follower, and he met him, and he said, that young man is just amazing. He's just an amazingly loving person. Wow. Fourth forward a month later, he said to that young man, he told him the story. I wanted to get you killed, this counselor killed, and John killed. And now I'm so sorry. I see the love of God in you guys. And, and please forgive me. And he started to weep. And he said, I will ask forgiveness from John and from the counselor, but tell me, how can I become like you? And now he and his brother are two of the staff running the program and following and sharing the love of Jesus because of the transformation that that's the redemptive love of God it doesn't stop evil but it redeems it another story another young man he was very into sharing his faith and the Taliban started to come his brother came home uh, his brother's a, a big teacher of this religion and very upset that his brother had become a follower and poisoned him now he didn't die and then his mother would cry every night and say, why have you turned your back on this way of life? Why, you're going to go to hell. What did I do wrong raising you? And now the Taliban are going to come. They're going to kill you, and they're going to kill all of us. Why have you brought this on us? So he was sleeping in a different house every night so that people might not notice where he was at and the Taliban might not see him associating with his family. But one night he's at a friend's house, and he brought his brother his brother has been in depression since I've known him. I've known him six years. His brother quit high school, his last semester of high school, because he said, I'm just going to be a shopkeeper all of my life. There's no hope for me in this country. 
there's no hope, so why finish school? So he took him with him, and his friend said to him, why have you gone down this road? Look what you brought on you and your family. Why have you taken on and become an infidel? And so he shared with him. And at the end, he said, do you mind if I pray for you? And his friend said, no, go ahead. So he prayed, and as he prayed, his brother, who's just watching with his eyes open, thinking my lunatic brother has become this crazy follower of Jesus, and suddenly said, I was flooded with peace and love and joy, and the depression lifted. It lifted so much when he came home, walked in his family's door. His mother said, what happened to you? And he said, my brother prayed. She got on the phone. You must come home tomorrow night and teach us how to pray. Your brother is different. He's got joy. I haven't seen him smile in six and a half years. He's looking at all. He's beaming with joy. You must come home and teach us to pray. And so he came home the next night, and his brother said, before you, he teaches you to pray, I want to say, I'm renouncing my sins. I'm renouncing the way I've lived before, and I want to follow Jesus the way my brother follows Jesus. His family applauded. They haven't become followers, but they, were, they could not argue with the transformation of their son. Now, they're still there, and they're being persecuted by the T group, so... Pray for them because of the other young man's faith. That's the redemption of our God. Number four, the gospel is way more powerful than we think. We tend to think of the power of God in healing and salvation, and that's true. That is powerful, and that's amazing. And while powerful, that so often limits God's, our view of God's power. I want to share something else. God's power is manifested in the fact that he works in us fickle, frail, messed up humans. If anything should encourage us daily, take a look in the mirror and be amazed that God works through you. Or take a, round, a look around you and be amazed that God works through us. We're a mess. And, and, and people want to idolize and put me on a pedestal. You went to Afghanistan. If you knew some of the thoughts I have during a week, you probably wouldn't have me up here preaching. I mean, and some of the attitudes. After, where I was at, that nation showed me the depths of my sin, the depths of my American pride, the depths of my inability, the depths of my inadequacy. What do you say to, to someone when, when the, and you heard of it, the, a girl's school was bombed? And my friend's family lived close to there, his in-laws, and his wife couldn't get the uncle on the phone and said, you must go find out if uncle's alive. He had to walk through body parts of young girls and heads and bodies and carnage. What do you say to that? Oh, well, hey, you know, talk about feeling adequate. I have no frame of reference for anything like that. I have no ability to comfort someone in that kind of situation. Talk about feeling completely inadequate. I mean, my own inability in language. I am the world's worst language learner. Why does God send me to other countries? And I have to learn these languages and slaughter them. I mean, talk about feeling inadequate. I felt inadequate constantly. So where is the treasure in that? Where is the good news in that? Again, Paul says it so well. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a wild paradox. The more acutely aware I'm, I am of my weakness and adequacies, conversely by God's grace, the more I can become abundantly aware of the absolutely astounding adequacy of God's sufficient grace. And experiencing that grace is priceless. The reason a lot of us don't see the power of God or don't think we do, because we're busy always trying to be strong or trying to be this or trying to be that, and we don't dare look at our weaknesses. I mean, we have strength finders, character finders, you know, this ingram and that and this to show us how adequate we are. How many of you have done a weakness finder? You probably don't have to, because you know it, right? If we would embrace that rather than run from that, we would experience the incredible sufficiency of God's grace. Johnny Erickson, you all have heard of her, 18 years old, dives into water, breaks her neck, quadriplegic. Talk about weak. And she resented God for two years until she came to embrace, could this actually be something God wants to work through? And I remember reading, she said, I have been to more prisons than most people will ever go to. And why? Because she goes into a prison and says, you're in a physical prison of bars. I'm in a prison of a body. I can't even lift my hand up without help. I can't change myself. I can't go to the bathroom myself. I know weakness and imprisonment. I also know the grace and power of Jesus' love to transform any prison and bring you life. And she said, I would, I would not trade what has happened to me being a quadriplegic and how I've come to know the redeeming, powerful love of Christ for having my 18-year-old body back. Has it been hard? Way hard. Has it been difficult? Incredibly difficult. Has it been humbling having to have people turn you three times a night, feed you, dress you? Incredibly humbling. Has the grace of God lavished on me? Yes. Have I experienced the love of Christ in a way I never thought possible? Yes. Have I seen God use this to make me go all over the world to be an ambassador of that grace? Yes, in ways I never would have thought possible. I've seen God work through this. Wow. Wow. Nick Vidjic. Some of you have heard of him. Little guy, about this tall, if he was sitting on the center, about this high. No arms, no legs. Flipper. Wanted to commit suicide as a kid in a Christian family, but finally at one point around 10 years old, God met him, and he embraced, because it was always before, why God, why, why won't you heal me? Why did you make me this way, right? We all would feel that way, I would. And he finally embraced, God, you made me this way for a purpose. Show me that purpose. 
And that guy has been used all over the world to share the love of Jesus and the love of Christ and to help young people deal with their insecurities. If I can know purpose as this little person with no arms and no legs, how much more can you not know purpose? You who don't have this. God made you as you are for his purposes and his glory. And he allows what comes in our lives for his purposes and his glory that his power, his love, his grace might be displayed. When we embrace our weaknesses, then do we find his strength. Honestly, the nation I was in showed me incredibly daily my inadequacies. Was that humbling? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. Was it sometimes frustrating? Yes. The grace of God I experienced there was priceless. I, I have never been so blessed in my life, not just by seeing God work, but by the presence of God in my weakness, in adoring him and in needing him so desperately, and then meet him meeting me in my desperation. It was priceless. I couldn't give you guys a, a quantitative amount of money for it. It was priceless. And how we kick at that. I went to that country kicking and screaming. I didn't want to be in that kind of nation. I didn't want to learn another language. I didn't want to be stretched. I needed it. It was so good for me. And finally, the last one, and I won't take up any more of your time. We could have the last one. Slide. The good news of the kingdom is much more about we than me. This is an amazing verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in you and you together. His glorious inheritance in his holy people. We are part of the treasure. As we become the church and we really become a counterculture to the culture, when we walk out the roughness of black, Hispanic, Asian, white, and are willing to commit to work through those things and love each other in spite of our pride, in spite of our failings, we demonstrate the kingdom of God. And we are our, part of our inheritance. We, look around, this is part of your treasure, Motley Crew. And as Dave said, if you knew some of my stories, you'd be like, Ugh. And if I tell you some of Dave's, you know. But this is the inheritance. This is why we need to make it more than just a Sunday event, guys. This is our inheritance. I want to say it. I can't say it enough to you. This is our inheritance right in front of your face. We need to invest in that. We need to invest in the church because this is our inheritance. We are a counterculture. We are the body of Christ through which God makes known his radical purposes in spite of us to the angels and to the earth. We're that body. We're part of that. It's worth the investment of everything we have. It's worth our time. It's worth our life. It's worth loving one another despite one another. We're going to get hurt. I'm a, I can't tell you how many times I hurt my staff but I'd always apologize. And they knew that. I'm not perfect. I would do such boneheaded things because of my insistence on wanting to make everyone in my image. Any, anybody else like that? Right? We try to make our husbands and wives in our image. We try to make our disciples in our image. I am so guilty of that. 
But God would remind me, these are your inheritance. I'm their inheritance. They're worth apologizing to. They're worth the struggle. They're worth getting along. They're worth working through the pride and the insult. They're worth it because they're part of your eternal inheritance. Wow. Wow. Do we believe that? Do we think that? Or do we just come for a, you know, get my word, hear my word, I want my worship songs my way, and then we leave? It's all about me? Well, no, it's not. It's about we. It's about we. And as we invest in we, we are blessed because we help the body grow. And that's what we're going to spend eternity with each other. You know, so let's get used to it. Let's start investing in each other. Tim was saying, well, love cannot be manifested if you're on a desert by yourself. I'm I'm really good at, at loving when I'm alone. I mean, I am one of the best lovers in the room. But when I have to be with people that just grate me sometimes and bring out my worst, part I don't like because they bring out my sin. That's good for me. Then I can repent and grow and they can grow and we become the inheritance, the kingdom of God. And the culture, if we would take this serious, in this day and age of superficiality, in this day and age of do whatever you want, if we would really start to love one another, despite one another, and invest in the body, people will end up coming to us because they see Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said? When we become unified, they will see the kingdom of God. They will see him. That's what it's about. So again, guys, I just wanted to take the time. I went long, but I hope you heard God's heart. We have a treasure, folks. We have such an amazing treasure. You're worse than you think. Don't run from that. Take a look at it because God wants, God loves us just as you are, but the part we don't ever say, He loves you too much to leave you that way. And when I'm willing to see my sin, I can change deeply. If I don't look at it, I can't change. Right? Let Him show you. Ask your spouse, your good friend, if you could change anything about me, what would you change? Right? God's kingdom is so much better than we think, so much more forgiving. He wants to lavish his forgiveness on us. It's so much more redeeming than we think. He's not going to prevent the world getting worse. He'll redeem it and let you be a part of that if you're willing. Don't lament, why is it this way? Say, God, how can I be a part of redeeming it? Right? The kingdom of God is so much more powerful. Remind yourself in the morning, wow, God's grace is sufficient even for a knucklehead like me. Wow, what power that God works through us, through me. Wow, what sufficient grace. And then it's about us, not just about me. I don't just have an individual Savior. He saved us to be a part of a body, to be a part of an inheritance of relationships. Amen? Thank you for the time. Amen.